This is the second of eight messages Dr. Hunter will speak on regarding bringing good out of family problems, a subject that unfortunately most of us can relate to one way or another. Last time we were together, Dr. Hunter discussed being attacked in childhood, and today he addresses being torn as a teenager. For his message, Dr. Hunter will refer to the following scripture text. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. A voice is heard on the bare heights, the weeping and the supplications of the sons of Israel, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Surely the hills are a deception, a tumult on the mountains. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. But the shameful thing has consumed the labor of our fathers since our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame, and let our humiliation cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, since our youth even to this day. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. And now let's join Dr. Hunter for part two of Bringing Good Out of Family Problems with today's message, Being Torn as a Teenager. Let me give you the context for what we're about to hear. We are on a ten-year journey towards spiritual maturity. We are in the third year of that journey. This year we are going to be concentrating <clears throat> on how God instills purpose and direction in our lives through our limitations through the weak spots of our lives. And so we, uh, for the first part of this year, are talking about how we are attacked. It's a spiritual attack as well as an emotional attack as we're growing up. And we're, we're talking about the different stages of life. And last week we talked about how we are hurt as children. How some of us have been through very difficult times. And how that points to the absolute perfect fatherhood of God. That God was always the only one who could truly father us. And so, he still wants to do that. This week, we're talking about the teenage years. I don't know how years were. Most of them are very difficult. If you will turn to the third chapter of Jeremiah, I will give you a biblical picture of this developmental problem. While you're turning there, let me say to you that psychology pictures this stage of weakness, this stage of attack very accurately. Eric Erickson, who wrote about the uh, eight stages of the development of man, said that adolescence is the time when you decide either role confusion or confirmed identity. What he didn't say was that the only way to confirm identity is hearing it from God. Most people, as they're going through these years, feel born again in an uncomfortable sense. Your body changes. You know, when you're, when you're a little kid, in a way, we've gone from last week talking about the portion of the population, the end of the spectrum, that is the most self-centered but the least self-conscious. And that's little kids. You only learn to be self-conscious as you grow older. 
I would like to talk today about the group of people that are the most self-conscious. But watch this. You're not going to believe it when I first say it, but give me a minute. But are the least self-centered people alive. And the reason I say that is because at this stage of our growth, everyone looks for someone else to find their identity. Everyone looks for another group that they can fit into. But they never quite fit in. Even if they find the group, they still feel terribly alone, terribly isolated as individuals. It's a time of great pain. These are years of great pain. There are 3.3 million teenage alcoholics in the United States. One out of every ten kids attempts suicide at some time. There have been, I'm trying to think, there are 5,000 successful suicides of teenagers every year. There have, the number of suicides has quadrupled in the last 30 years for teenage years, for the teenagers. 56% of all of the drugs, this will knock you off your chair, 56% of all the drugs in the United States that are sold are sold on campuses. Why such terrible pain? And even more appropriate, why do we continue to carry the struggle with us? Because that's what these sermons are about, unresolved struggles. We believe that the answer is, the reason that we carry them with us is because we never resolved them correctly in the first place. It's because we looked in the wrong places for our identity. Because we looked to the wrong source. Now, in the Old Testament, there is a dynamic that is named, and it's called the worship of the, on the high places. Now, let me explain to you what that is. The worship on the high places was something that was uh, especially prominent in the, for, for the Canaanites in the, in the land of Canaan. And these people, the, the, the culture would go up and build little altars, build little altars um, to deities that were not Jehovah God. They were local deities. They were smaller deities. They were more parochial deities, deities that they felt paid special attention to them. Now, the composite of all of these deities went into a larger picture, a god by the name of Baal. And so all of them were, in effect, Baal worship. But the local deities were on the high places. And when the Lord God came in, he said, you must destroy the high places. Look at this verse in Jeremiah chapter 3. First of all, look at God calling to the people, saying, in verse 4, this is verse 4, Have you not just now called to me, my father, thou art the friend of my youth? That's New American Standard. I think in the King James it's a guide. The, the Hebrew word means leader. Are you not the leader of my youth? Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken and have done evil things, and you have had your way. In other words, they know that God's supposed to be their leader, but they don't go to him for leadership. Now, look down with me in verse 19, this wonderful offer of God and what God's heart is. It says, Then I said, this is God talking, 
how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father. That's what God... Remember last week we talked about God wanting to be our father and to father us and not turn away from following me. Now, listen to the plea of the people, starting with verse 21. A voice is heard on the bare heights. These are the, these are the altars in the hills. The weeping and supplication of the sons of Israel because they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. Now, let me explain that word to you. In Hebrew, it doesn't mean not having enough faith only. It means continual turning, turning toward something. Can continue to try to search for some place that they can put themselves. Just like when you're a teenager. Just like when you're an adult that never got over being a teenager. God says, I will heal, literally, I will heal your turnings, your continual turnings. Behold, we come to thee, for thou art the, the Lord our God. Surely the hills, listen to this, are a deception. The hills are a deception. A tumult on the mountain. Surely in the Lord God is the salvation of Israel. But the shameful thing, referring to Baal, has consumed the labors, the labor of our fathers since our youth. Their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame. Let our humiliation cover us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers since our youth, even to this day. And we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. There are little gods in our lives whether they be people that we seek to imitate, whether they be the cliques that we belong to. I don't know what the cliques are in school these days. I, I remember from our day, you know, you had the, you had the jocks and you had the, the, the rich popular kids and you had the, the pocket protector kids and you had the, you know, the, uh, you know just the regular kids. That, the, in our, I grew up in a small town, so you had the FFA kids, the, you know, the farming kids. Um, I, don't, I, I know today they've got skaters and surfers and, you know, um, and they still got the jocks and they still got the, you know, the pocket protectors. And I, but I don't know what all the groups are. I don't, I've got to be educated. I should be re-educated. But those groups are altars of the hills. Because if you look to your clique in order to answer your needs for identification, they are a deception. They can never do that for you. They can never make you feel secure. You know, religious people have cliques. They call them denominations. Now, there's nothing wrong with denominations, but denominationalism is nothing but a high place. It's nothing but a clique. Uh, there are the charismatics. You know, are you charismatic? Oh, good, I found my group. There are the dispensationalists. Oh, are you dispensational? Oh, good, you know the real theology. Are you, you know, all of the... Do you, you listen to Charles Stanley? Oh, good, me too. How about Chuck Sundol? How many for Joe MacArthur? How many, you know, all little bits of identification that could and most often do replace a personal relationship with God. You know why? Because they give us 
the emotional relief of having found something close to who we are, or to, not to who we are, but who we, who we want to identify with. There's an emotional relief. You know, I read not too long ago that Tony Campalo quoted the president of MTV. You, know, you all know what MTV is, a music television. We don't get it at our house, but I know what it is. And if you've watched uh, videos on, on uh, they're they a 24-hour video thing that puts pictures to popular songs. The president of MTV said this. If we can get kids' emotions, if we can get them to forget their logic, we've got them hooked. Now, he's right, because according to one survey, 48% of teenagers spend at least two hours a day watching MTV. According to one survey, that seems unbelievable to me. But according to one, one survey, that's, that's the truth. Do you understand that Satan works on the basis of emotions only? That where he does try to pervert logic, he usually tries to stay out of logic and just work on an emotional hook. And so therefore, this process that God wants us to go through is one not just of feeling like we want to belong, it's of knowing who we are. Because in that knowledge, in that solid piece of logic, in that information that we can get only from God, there is something more solid than just an emotional connection. God wants us to know two things this morning. First of all, He wants us to know that the hills are a deception. For those of you who continually look for a group with which to fit and have that as your basis of finding out who you are, God wants you to know it will never, ever happen. It will never happen with a group. It will never happen with a person. It will never happen with a job. It will never happen with an accomplishment. It will never happen with anything but the Lord Jesus Christ because that's who we were made for. And so therefore, if we place our trust to find out who we are, in any other source, we are worshiping on the God, at the gods of the hills, and it's a deception, and we will be in sorrow. And there are very many people who do that. I read a story about a Westerner who went to, um, uh, to Syria. And as he was going through the countryside, this is where they still have uh, uh, shepherds. Uh, Muslim shepherds that, uh, that go down and, and feed their flocks at the stream. And he happened upon this one uh, pastoral scene where there were three different flocks that had coincidentally come together to water at the same hole. And the sheep all became intermixed. And when they, all the sheep had had time to be watered, one of those shepherds stood and said, Mana, which is Arabic for come, and started up the hill, and all of his sheep came out of that crowd and followed him up that hill. The Western guy was aghast. He saw the second shepherd then stand up, say the same word, Mana, went up the hill, and all of his sheep came out. He didn't even turn around to count them. You know, I had 30 coming in, you know. Didn't turn around to count them. Just went right up. 
Well, he went to the third remaining shepherd and he said, let me try something. Give me your turban. Give me your cane. And see if I can get these sheep follow me. Shepherd just smiled. Gave him what he wanted. And he stood up there and said, Mara! Started walking up the hill. None of the sheep followed him. He came back to the shepherd and he said, Do all of these sheep only follow the voice of the shepherd that is their owner? And the shepherd looked at him and said, Yes, with one exception. A sick sheep will follow any voice because they are in such great need that they will respond to any invitation. Look at the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John with me real quickly. First verse, Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And this confused the disciples. And then Jesus, in verse 14, clarified it for them. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Do you want to know why you were made? Do you want to solve the limitation of being a teenager and being unsure of yourself? Do you want to be relieved of constant turnings? Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should follow him. Maybe I should go this way because they seem so confident. There's only one way, and it's not simple. Well, I, it is simple, but it's not easy. There's a difference. And that way is to become so familiar with the voice of your true shepherd, Jesus Christ, that you can tell his, different, his voice from all the others. And that only comes by continual prayer and reading of the Word. This is one thing in your life you cannot get from any other Christian leader. You can't get it from me. You can't get it from your discipler. You can't get it from your parents, teenagers. You can't get it from your friends, adults. You can't get it from anyone else. It has to come directly from Christ himself. It's the only place you can get it. And it's only as you hear that voice that you will have confidence in yourself. No, confidence in who you were made to be and who is leading you. Every week, as this church gets bigger, my mail is increasing. You would think that as the church is manifesting healthy Christians, that the mail would be more and more encouraging. It is quite the opposite. Every week, there is someone else, maybe several someone else's, 
that writes to me and tells me what a great mistake I'm making and how uh, terrible the leadership is and so on and so forth. If I did not have an hour with the Lord every day, if I did not hear directly and consistently from God himself, I would be of all people most discouraged. I can listen to someone who says, I don't think you interpreted that scripture correctly. And they may be right. I make mistakes. I can listen to somebody who says, you know, the detail of this ministry over here is really messed up. They could be right. We make mistakes. But anybody who says to me, you are not who you're supposed to be and that congregation is not going in the direction it's supposed to go, I know they are mistaken. Because it hasn't been 24 hours since I heard the voice of the shepherd directly. If you want that kind of confidence for your general direction and your general life, it is available to you and God wants you to have it. Pray with me. God, there may be some in here who, again, never realized that you wanted to be that kind of personal shepherd to them. They have always thought that they had to go through someone else, someone else's understanding to get to you. And they've never been confident as to why they were made or what their general direction was in this world. God, this morning, lead them to yourself. Call to them. And as weakly as they can hear that voice, in their hearts, let them respond. If there's someone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let them know that's the first step to say, Lord, I have lived separately from you. I have sinned. I have gone my own way. I have nibbled my way lost. But I want to come back. And I know that what you did on the cross is sufficient to pay for all my sins. And I accept that forgiveness. And I invite you into my heart to make of my life whatever you want. And for the rest of these Christians, Lord God, all of us who from day to day find it more and more difficult not being attacked, more and more difficult as we are attacked to not be distracted, Lord, confirm in our hearts every day that you want such a personal relationship with us that through the Scripture and through prayer, you will speak to us directly so that we will be a blessing, so that we will not follow man, but we will follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.